You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning. It is great to just hear you guys sing. Um, It might be because you're really excited. This is the last sermon on Jeremiah. (laughs) Hopefully not. Um, It's actually, I'm I'm really looking forward to this, but there's so much to cover. I don't think we'll have time. So if we go about 16 minutes and there are seven points, and I'm only on like point two, please raise your hand, and we'll we'll try to cruise through it. But we are in the book of Jeremiah, and today we're going to be on chapter 33. And uh, there is a famous verse in this chapter that we all know, but before we get to that, I just want to give you a little bit of context. Jeremiah 32 and 33, um, they're very similar messages. It's like the same, it seems to be the same setting. And so there are three people at play in, 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 in these two chapters. And one is a man by King Zedekiah. The other one's Jeremiah and God. And there's a conversation. They all get to speak, and we'll get to hear a little bit about what they say. But just to give us a little bit of context, this is a time in uh, the life of, of Israel where the ten tribes had already been taken captive by Assyria. They were already taken captive, and so the only tribes that are left are just one and a half tribes, and Judah is the main one. And, uh, and the Babylonians had already come, and they'd already conquered, and they already took away their king, and they put another king in his place, and he was Zedekiah. And because they were rebellious, that was already what happened, and, it's, and all of this is already happening because they have rejected God over and over again. And the pictures that we have of God, he said, I am the fountain of life, you know, um, I, I am the source of life. There are different pictures that God, God talks about, and he's saying, you reject me over and over and over again, and that's why this is happening. And here is Zedekiah, and uh, after a few years of him being king, he chooses to rebel against Babylon. <laughs> and so the Babylonians come out and they lay siege to the city. And it's a year long, over a year of, of a siege where they're just cooped up behind these walls. And they're thinking, oh, they'll get tired. They'll go away. And you've got Jeremiah, who is God's prophet. And he tells them, you know, it would be best if you just surrendered. God says they're going to destroy this place, and they're trying to protect themselves, so he's seen as a traitor. He's locked up. One night in the stocks, he comes out. He's locked up in like a cave, in a a prison for a long time, and then he's let out, and he begs, please don't throw me back in there, and the king says, okay, I'm not going to throw you back in there, but I'm going to confine you to the courtyard of the guards, and so he can't leave. He's in this place where soldiers and officers come and go. And the entire time, he is faithful over and over and over again. And when God gives him a message, he says, I really don't want to speak this, but it's like a fire inside me and it has to get out. And I have to tell you. So he cries out to the people and he tells them, you know, you're wicked. You need to repent. Turn to God. If you don't, and you, you won't, 
you know, uh, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy this place. Lamentations chapter 3, Lamentations, it's a bitter cry where he cries about what, what happens. Anyway, it, it, it gives these crazy pictures of what he saw and he cries out to God because of this horrible destruction. But in Jeremiah chapter 32, uh, verse Verses 38, Zedekiah comes and speaks to him. He's in the courtyard and the king comes. I don't know, maybe he's bored and there's the prophet in the courtyard. He goes, he talks to him. Jeremiah, he asks him, why do you prophesy against us? Why? And Jeremiah answered him and, and he's the king. And again, you don't want to insult the king, but God had come and and. and told Jeremiah just about his own life, and Jeremiah shares that first. And he says, King, I just want you to know, God told me to buy property here. Even though the Babylonians are coming and they're going to destroy this place, God told me to invest here. That would be kind of like saying, uh, let's buy some property in Ukraine, Right? And, and to think that's, that's a safe place to buy. And, 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 and Jeremiah says, he goes out and he obeys God. And he says, I believe God. And God answers. And, and while he's telling this to the king, king, I don't want to, it's like, it's like he doesn't really want to say what's coming again. But he says, God told me to buy property here. I just want you to know I love this place. And God told me, and I did. I'm invested here. I'm not a traitor. I'm invested here. And then God, he says God's word came to him again in that moment. And he speaks again. And God says, yeah, I'm bringing destruction. But in verse 38 of chapter 32, he says, he talks about restoring uh, Israel and Judah. And he says, they will be my people and I will be their God, and I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they, that they will always fear me, and that all men, and that all will then go well with them, for them and for their children after them. I love that, that thought. Singleness of heart and action. That is so hard to do. We want to do one thing, yet we do what we don't want to do. And God's saying, I have the power and I will make this possible in the lives of my people. And so that's chapter 32. And here we are in chapter 33. And chapter 33, verse 3, some of you probably know this famous verse, call on me and I will answer you. And I will teach you. Okay, anyway, we'll get there in a minute. But, um, but the idea of call on me, Okay, that's, I think that's the theme of this whole chapter and this whole section. It's God saying, I'm right here, call on me. You've been calling on everything else, and I'm right here the whole time. And uh, God says, call on me. I thought about another title in this because if you look through this chapter, uh, every time God speaks, it says, this is the word of the Lord. And then God says something, call on me. And then it says, this is the word of the Lord. I'm bringing destruction. This is the word of the Lord. I promise. And so seven times God says, this is the word of the Lord. And he gives seven messages to his people. So there are seven things God wants his people to know. Um, so if I'm on point three and it's 16 minutes in, 
Raise your hand, or, or if I'm on two, whatever. Anyway, uh, you kind of know where we're going. So Jeremiah chapter 33, and, and there's that verse. Verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's the heart of the passage. Israel is searching for meaning, purpose, value, trying to fulfill their needs. Maybe it's love, all kinds of things. And instead of searching in the God that established them there, they're searching everywhere else. And God's saying, call call on me. And God wants his people to call on him. Who you go to for help is really important. And so, um, just, just ask that question, where do we turn for help? Where do we turn for help? When, when God says, call on me, where do, we to, where, where do we turn to find what we need? We'll get to that in a minute. But before, we'll come back to that in a second. But as, as this chapter starts out, here's what he says before that, while Jeremiah was still confined in the courtyard of the guard. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. So it already came the first time in chapter 32. Now it comes a second time. I'm not sure he was sharing this outright with, with uh, Zedekiah, but it's, it's basically for his people. And verse 2, this is what the Lord says. He who made the earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. This is really important. The Lord is his name. Why, why would you turn to God? Because it's important to know who he is. God is creator. He is the one who made the earth you live in, the air you breathe, the heart, the heart that pumps inside you. He made the sunrise and the sunset. He wrote the laws of gravity. We give a lot of credit to John Newton because an apple fell on his head. And he discovered something. He didn't come up with it. He discovered a law, gravity. And I think we give him a lot of credit, but it's interesting that the universe has laws. And he discovers this law, and it's a great discovery. My question is, who wrote the law? That's the great discovery. There's an outside force who is highly intelligent who can write this formula for how fast an apple falls or anything falls from anywhere. And the universe is governed by laws. And God's saying, "Um, that's me. I wrote that law. I wrote the laws that govern your world, your earth, your universe. I did that. Why would you turn to someone else? This is me, and it's really important to keep in mind who God is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1 says, by faith, sorry, 11, verse 3, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. This is our God. And he goes on here, and he says, um, 
The Lord is his name. That little phrase, the Lord, it's actually uh, four consonants. It's Y-W, well, in Hebrew, it's, it's basically in English, it's Y-W-H-W, Yahweh. Or I can't say that right because I put a vowel in there, so it'd be more like, I don't know. But, but basically he's saying, that's my name. And when you go back and look at that, God, you go back to Exodus chapter 3, and in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is, is being called by God to go and rescue his people from, from Egypt. And basically he says, God, when I go there and they ask me, who sent you, what do I say? And in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that's, the I am is Yahuwah. It's Y-W-H-W. This is, this is Yahweh. This is God's name. And maybe it's because it was so hard to pronounce that God said, okay, you can explain it to him this way, verse 15. I, I, I'm just kidding on that part. But the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So that they would know. Why? Because the God who, the God who this is referring to is a God who made a promise to Abraham. He made a promise to Isaac. He made a promise to Jacob. And that way they would know who they're talking about. This is the God who made a promise, and here we are as slaves in Egypt. And he's saying he's going to rescue us. And here, years later, Jeremiah is saying, God's saying to Jeremiah, that's my name. Remember, I'm the one who rescued you from Egypt. I'm the one who established you in this land. This is who I am. And that's why it's so important. God starts out with this phrase. It's important to know who God is. Um, where do we turn to find what we need? What do we need? We need food, clothes, right? Work. What about love? Relationships? Purpose? Meaning? These are things we need. And God starts out here in, verse, in this second verse. He says, call on me and I will answer you. And I'll, I will show you great and wonderful things that you don't yet know. Come to me. I, I'm the source of life, of joy, of purpose and meaning. And that's what we're going to kind of see in the rest of these verses. While Jeremiah, verse 3, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's God's call. And it's not just God's call to Israel back then. It is God's call for us today. He is saying, I, I want you to call me and I will answer you. So let me just ask you, have you called on the Lord? Did you call on him this week? about the things that you need? Let's think about that. But then he goes on, and remember, there are seven statements God wants his people to know. And this is what the Lord says. Sin has consequences. Yet, only God can forgive, cleanse, and restore. Here he goes on. In verse, <coughs> verse 5, he basically talks about the Babylonians. They're going to come. They're going to destroy this place. They will be filled, the city will be filled with the dead bodies of the people. I will slay in my anger and wrath. I will hide my face from the city because of all its wickedness. When you look at this, these phrases, my anger and wrath, we can very easily go to, man, this God 
is a wrathful, he is a ruthless dictator, he is oppressive. That's where our minds can go. God's word clearly says that God can't sin or even be tempted to sin. And what's interesting is there's another phrase in here, there's a because, there's a because because of all its wickedness. This isn't just someone being a bully. This is righteous judgment. This is God performing who he is. he's, he's, He's a judge. The phrase, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and 14 says this, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Do you, how do you think of God? What's your picture of God? Do you realize that he will judge us for our sins? Maybe you look around, you see, well, there are wicked people who aren't getting any consequences. Well, maybe the judgment isn't going to come today, but it will come. There will be a time when it comes. The scripture says it is appointed on a man to die once, and then there's judgment. God will judge people for their sins. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't see the rest of the picture, if all you see is, is as judge and you, you accuse him of dictator and you push him away, there's, that's scary because that's kind of what Israel is doing here. That's what Judah is doing. God's inviting. He's saying, call on me. That's what, he's, what the point is. Call on me. He's inviting you into relationship. If you don't have a relationship with God, he's calling you to come to him. Would you please consider coming to God. And this next verse starts out with this little verse. He's talking about judgment, but then he says, nevertheless, no matter what situations you've been through, he's talking about all of this judgment that's coming on Judah. They're going to be taken away in captivity, taken away from their homes, different language. It's it's going to be horrible. And yet God says, nevertheless, no matter what the circumstance is, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people and I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and I will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me and will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. They will be my people and I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action. This was Jeremiah 32, by the way. I just, I just went from Jeremiah 33 to 32, that idea of singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that, and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. This is who God is. He's not just a, a judge. He is someone who can and, and wants to cleanse and forgive. This is, this is God. He says, I will bring healing, abundance, peace, security, cleanse sin. I will forgive sin and rebellion. And he's the one who can give singleness of heart and action. He's not just creator and judge. He's the one who forgives. And as he does that, as he cleanses and forgives and restores, then this is the result. This city will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe, and it goes on. But these things that that God will restore, these things are about purpose. 
about design. It's like, this is what I created you for originally. When God makes Adam and Eve in the garden, when he makes us, he gives us purpose and meaning, and we find it in, in giving God the fame, renown. Judah, one day when they're, when they're back, when Israel comes back, they're going to be, God's, God's name and his presence is going to be famous among them. They will have joy, and they will be a witness, not just to each other, but to the whole world. That's what he's going to do. And so my question for us, and as I think through these God's the only one who offers to forgive sin and cleanse it from our lives. Have you been forgiven from your sin? Have you been healed? We're going to talk a little bit about this great promise in a second. But he offers healing and forgiveness, and he also offers purpose. Can you see the purpose to which God is calling you? Do you, among us as a church, for example, is God's name known? And I think he is. God's name is known among us. Not only among us, when we get together and we sing songs, there's joy, there's celebration because God is our God and we're in his presence and he loves us and we know this. And also there's a witness. There are people outside who are watching you, who watch us. And they see your life. And God says when he restores things in our lives, we are a witness to him. And my question to us as we live our lives is, are we giving a witness to God? Do we live out our purpose? I'm not saying we have to be perfect. It's interesting to me that oftentimes people watch us, and when they see us fail, they're like, whoa, look at that. But if you don't follow Christ and you fail, it's like, oh, no big deal. But a, a Jesus follower? Whoa, look at that. But what's interesting about a Jesus follower is when we fail, we repent, we confess, we turn back to God and like, Lord, give me the grace and the strength to do it again, to do it right. And that is important. It's important for my sons and daughters to see that. It's important for the people around us to see that, that God is at work in our lives. That way they'll, they'll be called, oh, I need to call on God. He's calling us. He goes on, God, in this passage, if you think about what's happening, you go back and picture this for a minute. They're under siege. And under siege, they're within these walls, but they remember the days when they could just go about anywhere, go out in the fields and come back. And there were all these sounds of life. And yet here come the Babylonians, and they take everybody away, even animals they slaughter everything, burn everything down. Anything that's valuable, it's all gone. Could you imagine the streets of, of Jerusalem after that? This is what the Lord says. And he's responding to what people say. You say about this place, it is a desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, and the voices of those who bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. This last week we, were, uh, we went on vacation with our whole family. It was a great time. A great time. We went down to Redmond and, and stayed in a house and uh, two days into it, my oldest son and my uh, second daughter had to leave because they have work and they have college. 
And so they had to, they had to leave. So they leave. And Carrie and I had, were going out on a walk after that. And she said what I was thinking. She said, man, isn't it interesting how silent it is without the older two? We still have four kids in the house. <laughs> but the dynamics changed and something was different. There was something missing. And we both felt it. I can't imagine when they all leave. But imagine Jerusalem. You can't even hear dogs. There aren't sheep in the fields. It's silence. And God's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to restore these things. I'm going to bring, I'm going, I'm going to restore the sounds of life. And he also talks about promising to restore community, uh, the promise to restore community. So if we look back at the same passage, the same thing, just look at it from a different angle. God is saying, I'm going to restore the sounds of life. I'm going to restore community. Community is important to God. Why is it important to God? Because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a community in himself. He loves, he rejoices, he is glad, he laughs. And when he creates humanity, he creates us, he creates us in his image. And when we come into relationship with him, he restores us to himself in that community and restores us to each other in this community. It's a place where we can have life, the sounds of life, the, sound, the, the restoration of purpose, of, 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 of meaning, but this is just amazing community. So my question for us as we think about all of this that God does, he's restoring community, restores animals. God's in the details. Really? Animals are important? Yeah, they're very important. He says, yeah, yeah I'm restoring animals, work. God's just restoring life. This is our God. And, and let me ask you a question. How are you connected to God's community? Uh, we went to a church on, on Sunday I won't say where we went to church. And it was great. The music was amazing. The worship was great. The message was very clear. And I even got to talk to uh, the, the, the worship leader in between services. I had to go out and check something. And I went and, and I talked to him. He briefly came up to me and had a conversation. Hey, what do you need? He took me to this place. I, very, he was a servant, right? And then at the end, we came out as a family. And we walked down the lobby. We walked down the hall. We were out there for quite a while. Not a single person talked to us. And I thought, wow, the, the staff, one of the, one of the staff came and talked to us. But nobody from the church. And there were all these little groups huddled in different places. And, and some of them looked at us. I, you can't miss six people walking around. They're, they're just walking around. It, it makes me wonder, how are we as a community? It, and I'm in conversations with the staff. Hey, how can we make this place more welcoming? And today, there's, there's, if you're new here today, they want you to go and they want to give you coffee and want to spend time talking to you, get to know you in the cafe. After the service, we'll talk about this in a minute. But I want to encourage us as a church. Our job is, as a church, to be a place where we welcome people into community. Where if there is someone here, we're looking for people. And if I, I love coming here and hanging out with people I know and talk to people I know, but God's asking me to welcome people who aren't normally part of the community and say, go and say hi to them. Just have a conversation. Just talk to them. How are you doing? Where are you from? I'm glad you came. So I just want to encourage us as a church 
to be this welcoming group of people where we take, take a moment and we go and we talk to people. We welcome them. And our culture shifts from being kind of cold to, I, I feel loved in this place. Because community is important to God. It's important to us. Um, God, and he goes on, and, and this is the ama- an amazing promise. In this chapter, he promises Judah and Israel, he promises to send a savior. And this is what he says, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will, will, will live in safety. This is the name by which uh, it or he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. And that word Lord is Yahweh, our righteous savior. This is his name. Uh, verse 17, David will never, uh, we'll, we'll just go back to this. Yeah, no, let's go on. David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of Israel, nor will the Levitical priests ever fail to have a man to stand before me continually to, burn off, uh, to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to present sacrifices. God is about community, but this is amazing. He is offering a savior He's called our righteous Savior. In chapter 23 and verse 6, it says, His name is Yahweh is our righteousness. He's not just a righteous king who is good. He is our righteousness. Why? (laughs) We're sinners. We're not righteous. And he's perfect. And... uh, and we know the rest of the story. God sent his own son into our world. And he already came. This promise is already fulfilled. He came 2,000 years ago and he lived among us. He was a sinless man, a spotless lamb of God who was sacrificed on a cross for our sins. His, our sins were nailed on that cross on him. He died so that we would have life. Do you have a relationship with the Savior? Jesus sent his son because he wants a relationship with you. His heart is, call on me. I'm right here. You don't need to go everywhere else to try to find what you need. I'm right here. I will provide everything. Would you come to me? God's promises are for his people. He, he promises the healing of broken hearts, of restoring a life-giving relationship. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants, you cleanse. he wants to cleanse you from sin. His promises of making us his people for his purpose, it's, it's for us. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. If you do have a saving relationship with Jesus, what does your relationship with Jesus look like? Sometimes we forget to call on the Lord. And we're like, oh, I'm going to go do my own thing. But what does it look like to have a relationship with Jesus? Are you allowing Jesus to meet your needs? Are you allowing him to fill social needs? Sometimes we're like, I really need this. I need this relationship. And we try to force what we want rather than going to God and asking him, 
We trust on our, our own ways. And, and so just, just a question, are you calling on him daily? Are you, are you coming into relationship with him, having conversations with him, allowing him to guide and lead your life? He goes on in the last, the last thing that God wants his people to know, the last two things, is that Jesus, this Messiah, is king, and he's the perfect mediator, or he's the priest. And it goes on to talk about uh, Jesus, or this Messiah, coming from the line of David, I won't get into all of this, but he, he talks about Jesus coming. He's from the line of David, and he talks about my covenant with the Levites, who are priests ministering before me. And basically says that the, the, they won't be missing a man who is priest. When we look at who Jesus is, Jesus is pretty amazing. First of all, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and I love this. If you were to read the Jewish Bible, the way they have it in order, and you end, you end on, on 2 Chronicles. And 2 Chronicles is basically the list of the last kings. Right? And it mentions the last king and he dies. And then if you were to start in Matthew 1 verse 1, it says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Isn't that cool? He's the king. And Matthew's, that's the point. He's saying he is the king from David's line. He is the promised Messiah. The son of David the son of Abraham, the one who the promises were made to. And the promise to Abraham was that through Abraham's seed, the entire world would be blessed. We would be blessed. This is who he is. He is, he is king. And not only is he king, but he is also this perfect priest. Hebrews 7, 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely, not like half-baked. He's complete, complete salvation, those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Amen. This is Jesus. He is a perfect priest. He is a perfect mediator. And he was tempted in every way like we were. So when we need help, why not call on Jesus? He has the answers. He has a solution. He, has the, he gives us the power to live victorious lives. This is Jesus. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Uh, it goes on talking about, uh, about what the people say. And the people say, God has rejected the people he chose. He's rejected. You, can you imagine being Judah? Being in exile? God has turned his face on you. You don't mean anything to him. And it would be very easy to believe that. Because you've probably lost a lot of loved ones. You've lost everything. You're in a country where you don't speak your language. You're, you don't have a country. And people are, are basically pointing it out. You're a nobody. And yet God's answering these people. God's basic, his answer is really, really cool. And I'm not going to read it all, but I'm just going to say it. In, in different words. Basically, God says, at the beginning he had pointed out, I am the creator, right? I made the laws that govern day and night. 
And here he basically says, if you can make those stop working, then I will break my covenant with my people. If you can make it stop being day and night, then I'll break my covenant. He's he's basically saying, there's no way in the world I'm going to break my promise to who you are. You're my people, and I will make things right. I will restore their fortunes and have compassion on them. He's king. He's priest. Do you allow Jesus to govern your life? Do we allow him to come in and teach us how to live? Do you connect with him regularly as you allow God to work in your life? Do we connect with him and allow him to intercede for us and and allow the Father to bless us? And lastly, 1 Peter 2.9, I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up, get ready to worship. But as I think about Judah and Israel and what they're going through and the voices that they're hearing, I think about the world around us and the voices that we hear. There are voices that would say to you, I don't know how you came this morning, but there are times in life when we feel like maybe God has turned his face on me. Maybe I'm disqualified from belonging to the family. Or God isn't answering my prayers. And I just want to take a moment and read what God says. And I would like you to think about, just, just pray right now. Have a conversation with God and ask him, Lord, what do you say of me? Here's what his word says. But you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is what God says. He says this, if you have a relationship with Jesus... He is your savior. This is who you are. And so on that, on that note, I'd like to invite you to come up and take uh, the bread, take the cup, get ready to celebrate communion. We're, we're about to celebrate the greatest gift we've, we could possibly have, the gift that Jesus, of Jesus Christ for us. Would you come up as we sing this next song? And, and, and pick up communion. As I was preparing uh, this message this week, uh, in the middle of it, as I was thinking about God restoring the sounds of life, um, I happened to check my email. And uh, our brother Tom Lister sent an email. And it says this, just a quick note to let you all know, that Mary is now absent in the body, but dancing before the Lord. Thank you all for your prayers and support through this long ordeal. I hope to see you all soon at live service. I have missed you greatly. And he titled it, Mary is in glory. And so, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. Tom, we're praying for you.
Um, but it's also sweet. It's so sweet because she's dancing in glory. Isn't that amazing? Father, we thank you so much because our eyes are set on you. We thank you because you are the God of hope and the God of who keeps his promises. So, Father, as we leave here today, please remind us to call on you. Remind us to call on you every day as we get up and as we go about our day, set our purposes, set our direction, set our lives. Would we honor you with our lives and would people see you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.